In Mark chapter 10, verse 51, it says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Today, Jesus tells a man that he's a camel. This is day 13. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day 13 of the Journey Through Mark podcast. It's fitting that I made a camel joke. It's hump day. Ah, it is. Oh, that makes sense. It is Wednesday. I mean, that's not the real joke. There's some camel references in today's reading. But I'm joined once again by Brendan Lang, the author of our Journey Through Mark commentary, and Melissa Payne, our student life pastor here at the North Shore. Here's my question for you. What's a blind spot that you've discovered in yourself? Not like in somebody else, because that's no fun. I want to know what blind spot you've found in yourself or somebody told you? What's a blind spot you've had? I mean, I was going to say in my car, but you're talking about like... (laughs) No, 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 no. Yeah. (laughs) Character blind spot or something you do that Mm. maybe you didn't know about. People tell me that I eat really loudly. Like, it's really? Have you ever eaten around me? Have we talked about this? Yeah, I've eaten a lot around you. We've talked about this. That is one of my biggest pet peeves, and I've never noticed that about you, Brendan. Well, plenty of other people (laughs) notice it about me. So I just, I don't know, I just chew and drink and make noises when I, whatever. Maybe you just really enjoy it. Maybe you just love eating so much that yep. you can't not. Well, then I'm know? like, then like people tell me and, I, and I'm aware of it and I start to fix it. But then you always lose your blind spots after a while. Old habits, they Old come habits. back. What about you, Melissa? Huh? I mean, I guess I don't have any because I can't think of any. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I've got some news for you, Melissa. I'm sorry to be the one to break it to okay, you. Okay, maybe you should tell me what my blind spots are. <laughs> you might have a lot of blind spots. If you think that you don't have any, I think your humility is definitely one of your blind spots. Oh, dang it. Okay. Yeah. You're just maybe so that's humble. It. Did you know that? Well, did you know that you're so humble? I thought I was, but maybe I'm not. <laughs> Well, I mean, Brendan, he didn't really talk about like a character flaw. He talked yeah, about I'm, like that's true. <laughs> just I've something got, that he does that annoys people. I have plenty of character flaws that I know annoy people too. I mean, do you want me to go first? I can yes, get real why here. Don't you I'm totally go, fine doing it. And then it will trigger something in me. Okay, so you know what I'm really good at? What's that? I'm really good at deflecting blame. Like I'm very good at being like, well, I know that this went wrong, but you know whose fault it really is? Not mine. That's for sure. (laughs) And here's why. Let me lay out 10 steps as to why this is not my fault. I'm very good at that. So it's no longer a blind spot. I've been working on it. Mm. Oh, that's good. So that one's been brought to light. Oh, yeah. By a lot of people. Lots of people. (laughs) Starting when I was like two years old. They're like... Who broke this lamp? Well, so you you see, the, I guess that's not really my voice. So you see, <laughs> like maybe the when lamp you were was, twelve, yeah, something like that. I can't go any further back on the voice. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> but yeah, that's one of my character flaws. So you know what? Today I'm gonna just like remove the burden from you both. I'll be the only one to share my real blind spot. Brendan, you're a loud eater. Melissa, you're just too humble. I've got <laughs> those are your blind spots for now. We all got and we'll I've move got more on. blind spots than that. For sure. Listen, Brendan, other than you eating loudly, you're perfect to me. That's yeah. totally <laughs> fine. We haven't you're spent fine. enough time together, I guess. Is that possible? <laughs> I don't even know. Anyways, here's the thing about today's reading. There's a lot of people with a lot of different type of blindness. Some of them are literal and some of them are more character oriented. Oh, yeah. But to get into mm. it, I see what Brendan, you're doing. why don't you uh why don't you take us through our commentary for today? 
Day 13, the side of the blind. Throughout the last two readings in Mark, Jesus has been on a journey to Jerusalem. In today's reading, this journey ends in the same miraculous way that it started, with Jesus healing a blind man. On its own, this closing story is significant because it reveals Jesus' messianic identity as the one who can bring sight to the blind. Where it is located, the story is especially ironic because it shows how a blind beggar named Bartimaeus can see what others along the journey have failed to see. For example, Mark 10.50 tells how Bartimaeus abandons his cloak when Jesus calls to him. This might not seem like a big deal to us, but for a beggar like Bartimaeus, this was a major sacrifice. His cloak may have been his only possession, and it was likely the place where he received alms. By casting his cloak aside in his pursuit of Jesus, Bartimaeus shows that he sees that following Jesus is worth more than making money. This is in direct contrast to the rich man described in Mark 10, 17 through 22, who rejects Jesus when Jesus asks him to sell everything. Unlike Bartimaeus, the rich man couldn't see that Jesus can give a hundred times as much to those who leave everything to follow him. Bartimaeus also sees what two disciples, James and John, fail to see. Jesus asks all of them the same question, what do you want me to do for you? The response of James and John shows that they still have a misguided view of the kingdom. They say, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. In contrast, Bartimaeus's request shows that he sees Jesus as a Messiah who bestows mercy rather than seats of power. Bartimaeus humbly but boldly tells Jesus, I want to see. This story about Bartimaeus should remind us that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Even though he had been a blind beggar, Jesus welcomed Bartimaeus into his community of seeing followers. Likewise, the spiritual blindness of the disciples and the rich man should challenge us to consider whether the love of money or power has blinded us to the way of Christ in this kingdom. Jesus can help us see, but first we have to recognize that we are blind. For day 13, we're reading Mark chapter 10. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Melissa, do you want to take us through our discussion questions for day 13? First question. When Bartimaeus was healed, literally saved, he was no longer content to sit by the roadside, but instead actively followed Jesus along the road. How would you describe your own faith walk right now? Are you more like a fan passively watching from the sidelines or are you actively participating in your faith? Second question. Imagine that Jesus asks you the same question. He asks James, John, and Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? How would you respond?
You know what I'm blown away by is James and John and how they are just like, hi, Lord, teacher. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Like, that's pretty bold. That might be the boldest thing that I've heard anybody say, even like the things that Peter says, which are ridiculous. That's the boldest thing you've heard people say? I mean, the disciples. Well, it is pretty bold. I mean, I guess Peter went and like admonished Jesus at one point, but come (laughs) on, we want you to do whatever we ask. What's so wild about it is that Jesus basically taught the exact same message in yesterday's reading. You remember that? Right, exactly. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And then he says, like, whoever wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Like they totally missed it. They were right there. They heard the message and he's got to teach the same thing over again. And he actually goes longer. He adds on to it, but it's interesting. They never seem to get it. It seems like kind of a big blind spot. If you ask me, I understand now why you were asking us about blind spots. That's good. <laughs> and the camel and the camel All is revealed. I you know, the camel thing. That. You got another blind spot. You got this rich man right? coming in and he walks away. He's sad because he got called a camel. That's what Jesus says. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. This is just one like blind spot that we see, but Brendan, you referenced this in the commentary. What does Isaiah have to say about bringing sight to the blind? You had like two references here. What would Isaiah have anything to do with what's happening in these verses? Well, Isaiah has a lot to do with the entire book, I would say. So it depends how much we want to get into it. I don't know any of that. So please don't know. explain it to me. So Isaiah 35, 5 says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf be stopped. This is actually the end of the first half, you might say, of Isaiah. There's kind of a major turning point shift that happens in between 35 and 36. But to really quickly summarize, that's kind of a passage that's been interpreted messianically. It's something that people kind of expected to characterize the time of the Messiah. And Jesus demonstrates that he can do that. I think it's just fascinating what happens here in the book of Mark. So we have this, what I call act two, Jesus is on the road, on the way to Jerusalem. And this section is flanked. It's surrounded by two stories of Jesus giving sight to the blind. They're the only two stories in the book of Mark where Jesus gives sight to people who are blind. In Mark 8, 22 through 26, we talked about this story, I know, where a person comes to see in two stages, right? And it sort of yeah. symbolizes exactly what happens in the next story where Peter sees, but he doesn't see completely clearly. Well, here Mm -hmm. at the end of this section, in tomorrow's reading, Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem. This is the end of the road. He's come to Jericho. This is the last stop before Jerusalem. And here he heals a blind person one more time. And everything in this story symbolizes things that we've discovered along the way. Bartimaeus, even though he's blind, he can see things that other people haven't. You know, he's asked the same question. What do you want me to do for you? James and John, they say, we want to sit at your right and your left. We want the top seats of power, right? And he says, I just want to be able to see. I want you to give me mercy. So he sees what Jesus's role as the Messiah entails. But here's the other thing that I think is actually fascinating. When you look at the story of the rich man who has all these possessions, Jesus says, go sell everything you have and you can inherit something that's so much more valuable than your possessions. He doesn't see that Jesus can offer that to him. So he just walks away. He doesn't follow Jesus. And Bartimaeus, you have this fascinating line where it says he throws his cloak aside, possibly his only possession, almost certainly the place where he received his gifts. He's begging on the roadside where people Mm -hmm. set their money, their gifts to him. He says, I don't need this anymore. I don't need this income source anymore. I don't need this possession anymore. All I really need to do is follow you. And he's healed. And the Greek word translated there is healed. It's the same word that means saved. It's the Greek word sozo. He's saved. And then he follows Jesus. We've talked about this phrase on the way. He follows him along the road, which is the same phrase on the way. He's doing exactly what Jesus has been trying to teach the disciples to do. Follow me on the way. Follow me in the way 
of the Messiah on the way to the cross. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And he sees it. He gets it. He follows Jesus. And the disciples don't really ever figure it out. Hmm. I mean, it seems like we start this chapter off with another group of people who haven't really figured it out. You've got the Pharisees who are asking this question about marriage and divorce. It's very confusing. It seems like there's some subtext going on because Jesus seems somewhat annoyed with their question. It seems like another little blind spot by a group of people interacting with Jesus. I mean, we've kind of seen this, but we're going to see this more and more, especially when Jesus enters in Jerusalem. You have some Pharisees coming and they're not just approaching him with questions. They're actually testing him. And so Jesus, he says in verse five, he says, is because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law to you. They're demonstrating that their hearts are hard, that they can't see. And so they're testing Jesus because they failed to recognize that this guy is the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting for. They're trying to force people to follow not just the law, but their own regulations because because they think by following all this stuff perfectly and not just the laws, but again, their regulations, this might usher in the age to come, the messianic era when God would restore the kingdom of Israel. And what they fail to see is God is doing it right there in the person of Jesus. And so they're testing him, trying to put him in a tough spot. And the reason why it's a test is because if you remember earlier, we talked about Herod Antipas. Well, he married his brothers. His yeah. brother's brother's wife. Yeah. Wife. Herodias. Yeah. yeah. She's divorced. His brother and marries Herod Antipas. So there is a situation here where you have a political ruler, someone who has power in the area where Jesus has spent most of his time doing ministry. And if Jesus answers the question one way, well, it can put him at odds with Herod. If he answers another way, it could actually put him at odds with John the Baptist, sort of this recognized spiritual leader. And so they're putting him in a situation where he has to answer this yes, no question in a way that's going to get him in trouble. And he just turns the tables on him, which we'll see time and time again as we continue reading in the book of Mark. So basically, he just says, you're missing the point. Yeah. Basically, you're trying to like set up rules and I'm above and beyond the rules. Yep. I feel like in general, like this chapter, I said it last week, I think that we're really downhill from this point. <laughs> We've got like literally so many stories. Can, There's, all right. Hang on. I want to just talk about this for a second. I know. I'm yeah. Cutting you I, off. We did promise that you would talk about topography. Okay. So what are we talking yes. about? Why well, do you keep saying just, downhill? Just I think this really is, excited, Brendan. I think this is cool. I mean, Caesarea Philippi, he's there and then he goes up presumably to Mount Hermon somewhere near the top of that. That's the tallest mountain in the area. And you go to Jericho. This is the lowest city in the world. By the Dead Sea, right? Right. It's by the Dead Sea. This is the lowest elevation in the world. And so it's literally downhill. It'll go uphill when he goes to Jerusalem, but we'll talk about that more later. Well, I was going to say it's downhill, but also it feels like a real downhill point for all the people involved in all these stories too. Cause like it says here, this is the third time Jesus has predicted his death to the disciples and mm -hmm. they still don't get it. Yep. Like people will mock him and spit on him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Mm. And immediately they jump to James and John going, Hey, can you do whatever we want? Can you do that for us? Isn't that like kind of obvious that they're just completely missing the point? It feels like somewhat frustrating experience for him. Yeah, Mark is actually, I think he's drawing special attention to it because you've pointed out he's made this mm -hmm. prediction three times. Well, after every single prediction, this type of thing happens where his disciples start to argue about things that are inconsistent with the nature of the Messiah, with the nature of the kingdom he's trying to establish. So again, they're not getting it. And Mark, he doesn't want us to miss it. He wants it to be abundantly clear to us that Jesus knows exactly what his job is, what he's going to do as the Messiah. And the disciples miss it. And he wants us to get it. He highlights their blindness that we also mm -hmm. learn that if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to claim to be disciples of his, well, we got to live in ways just like him too. 
And I think it's really easy to step back and look at the story and be like, what is wrong with these disciples? They're following Jesus day in and day out, and they can't see who he is. But then I start to look at my own life and I see I do the same thing, you know? When we have sort of a turning point at the end of this one that we don't get kind of along the rest of the way, we have this blind man, Bartimaeus, and he sort of can see what everybody else can't, even though he's blind, which is pretty hilarious. And he sort of says an example of how we should be treating Jesus throughout all of this. Mm -hmm. So you've got the disciples, you've got the Pharisees, you've got a rich man, you've got children. And so far at the end of this chapter, we have a blind man and children that we're supposed to act like. Yeah, I mean, we talked about children yesterday and he talks about Mm -hmm. children and again, the way he talks about them is somewhat similar, but also he adds an extra little twist to it. He says in Mark 10, 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So he's already kind of talked about that idea when he embraced the child in yesterday's reading. But notice what he adds now in verse 15. He says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And I think the idea here is that not Not only are we supposed to welcome little children and not just little children, but people who are like little children, you know, the people Mm -hmm. that get pushed to the sidelines, the people who aren't invited to the table, the people who aren't part of the conversation, the kingdom of God belongs to such as them. We should include them, but not just that, we should actually be like that. If we want to enter the kingdom of God, if we want to be active participants, members who are following Jesus on the way, here's what it looks like. It looks like us making ourselves humble. It looks like us leaving behind our aspirations for power, for wealth, for money, for the top spots at our company. And it looks like us embracing humility. It looks like us embracing the role of a servant. It looks like us assuming the position of a child, because this is exactly what Jesus did. He says something similar in Mark 10, 42 through 45. This is after his conversation with James and John. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers, of the Gentiles lorded over them, talking about the emperor, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. You shouldn't try to live in the model and the way of Roman imperial authority. The kingdom of God looks different than the structure of the Roman political system. It looks like an upside down kingdom. Not so with you, he says. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then there's a significant verse for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for money. So Tyler, earlier you talked about Isaiah Well, here he's alluding to the book of Isaiah in a really important way that I think sometimes got missed in that generation. So Isaiah 40 through 55, we get these messages of good news, good news that God was coming and good news that God was establishing his kingdom. This is in Isaiah 40 verse nine, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. That's the good news that God is here. You get something similar in Isaiah 52, seven. It says, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So the good news is that God is here and he's bringing a kingdom. And that's what Jesus has been doing. That's what Mark has been showing Jesus to be doing from the very beginning. He's come, it's good news, and he's pronouncing the kingdom of God. Well, what you notice in the very next chapter in Isaiah 53 is that the way that God brings it, the way the kingdom is established is through a suffering servant. And so you go through Isaiah 53, you read about this servant who took up our pain and bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we're healed. 
and we could keep on reading. But the point is that the message of Isaiah is that God would come, he would restore his kingdom, he would establish his kingdom, but the way he would establish it would be through a suffering servant. And that's what Mark is trying to show that Jesus has done. That's what Jesus understood his mission to be. He came, he proclaimed the good news, Mark 1, 14 and 15, the good news that the kingdom of God has come. But now he's demonstrating, he's showing, he's emphasizing for his disciples that the way he's going to bring it is by being the servant of Isaiah 53. Again, this is Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, that's why I like Jesus's interaction with the kids too. And comparing, you know, the way that you get into heaven, the type of faith you should have is like these children Hmm. is because there's a level of like naiveness, but also an enthusiasm that kids have about this. Melissa, we talk about all the time how like when you work with students, they have less of like a self-awareness filter Mm -hmm. and they just ask bold questions that really we all have, but they say them like without any sort of expectation of judgment, they truly just want to know. There's like a real seeking nature to how they are. And that's that's what I admire about them. And that's one of the things that I think that Jesus is trying to point out. There's a uniqueness to the way that children approach faith. And not that like students are children necessarily, but they're just, you know, early on in their faith, asking the right questions without any sort of regard for how they're going to be looked at or how they're going to be judged or anything like that. Right. There's a boldness that comes when you're younger and you're a little fearless when it comes to how people are going to respond. And it seems like, you know, with the children, And they were just coming to Jesus just as they were and probably dirty. And, you know, they didn't know all the answers and have everything. And I think that that's how Jesus wants us to come to him and not be afraid to ask for things or not be afraid to really explore what faith looks like. Yeah, for this rich guy, it seems like really disheartening for him because he's seeing his chances of entering the kingdom of heaven go away. And, you know, if Jesus is supposed to be good news, but to a lot of people who have made it in the world, it doesn't really seem like he's good news. So I guess my question is really like, if we're supposed to get on board with Jesus, what's the upside? What am I gaining with Jesus compared to, you know, everything else that I've already acquired for myself? Well, Jesus says it in verse 30, no one who does this, no one who leaves everything behind will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's and fields, along with persecutions, which is kind of a interesting insertion right there. And in the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And his point there, I think is he's not proclaiming prosperity gospel. He's not proclaiming that you leave everything behind. You have faith, you believe, and all of a sudden you're going to be a millionaire and you're going to be actually richer. It's not that he's emphasizing the quality of life he can give you, that life goes better when you trust him, when you believe him, when you realize that money doesn't actually satisfy your needs. It seems like good news. You know, this is what I feel every day. Like, I wish I owned a house. I wish I had a better car. I wish I didn't have student loans. I wish I had so many more things in life. But what I discover is, yeah, I mean, it helps a lot, but it's not the answer to my deepest longings in life. Mm-hmm. If I want to be fulfilled, filled, I'm not going to find it in climbing the corporate ladder and achieving all my professional goals. Like it's nice to achieve those. I feel better sometimes when I achieve those, but those don't satisfy my longings. And I think part of what he's getting at is if you want a fuller, better life, the way you're going to get it is by leaving those behind and following and trusting me because I'm bringing you into a kingdom that's ultimately better than any of the structures and systems, the way our world operates. He has something better in mind for this world than what our world has already planned for itself. Melissa, what about you? What does Jesus give us that the rest of the world can't? 
I think in the way that Brennan was talking about, we look at the things in this world and we want, you know, achievements and we want to succeed. I think those are all good things. But when we begin to, I think, get more, then we want more. And it's not satisfying. It's not what our heart longs for. And so I feel like Jesus offers just a place to fill our hearts, to give us hope and to give us ultimately eternal life. But even like we've been reading in these past few weeks of just like the kingdom here on earth and that we're able to experience that now with him. Because I think as we continue to climb that ladder, we want more and it just never satisfies the way that Jesus satisfies. I think too, like climbing that ladder or trying to gain those real financial rewards or any type of reward, like riches can be defined as really anything. I think that's when you start to lose yourself too. You look around and one day you realize that you're chasing after things that are not truly at the heart of God. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the most difficult thing to come to terms with. A lot of people's blind spots is that they're chasing things that are not the intention of where you're supposed to. Yeah. But you've got this great example at the end of this chapter. It's kind of where I want to leave today is this blind man straight up is asked by Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Mm. And that was one of the discussion questions is what do you want me to do for you? How would you respond? How would you guys respond? <laughs> hmm. If I mean, Jesus straight up asks you this question, what do you want me to do for you? And you know what, Tyler, to be honest, my blind spot, I want to be out of debt. You know, I want all those things. Mm. I want the types of things James and John are asking. And mm. the challenge for me is to look for something greater, to look for something different, to seek something better, not just for myself, but also for the world. It's a tough question. Yeah, I think if Jesus were to ask me that, I would probably answer in a way that is not necessarily a bad thing. But I mean, I do want to be married and have kids and have a family and be able to serve in ministry alongside with someone else. But I think that if that's the main focus that I have and I get caught up in that, and I'm missing out on what God has for me right now, then I'm missing out on what He has planned for me right now. And yeah. so it causes us to look at those desires that we have to ask, are they really God's desires for us? Or are they kind of that American dream, those desires to be in a better place, you know, physically, financially, in those different ways? It's almost like, the, what's the question of what do we ask our world for, our government for, our country for? I mean, those things can give you comfort and, you know, security and stability, but yep. the ultimate comfort and stability, that comes from something that we can't find on this earth right now. We talked about this a few days ago. Didn't you ask this question, Tyler, like, what's your one wish? <laughs> we talked about mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. kind of, yeah. you remember that? A little bit less seriously. Yeah. Less seri I mean, I wasn't trying to be <laughs> Jesus there, but... <laughs> I'm just but no, I'm more serious. like curious what your wishes would be. What I love about this question is it reminds me of, again, like I talked about Aladdin last time. And it's like when people mm -hmm. get the magic lamp with every wish, you realize, no, there's actually something greater. Mm -hmm. And what I think is so important about this question, Mark gives it to us twice because he wants us to answer the same question and for us to continually reflect over it. What do we really want? Like, again, mm -hmm. I could ask for my debts to be canceled and that'd be great, but that's not going to satisfy my deepest needs. What do I want? What do I really want? And it's a question I think we ought to keep coming back to every day and almost approaching Jesus with that every day. Because I think when we answer that question more and more and we spend more time in scripture with Jesus learning about his way, the way of the kingdom, I think our hearts and our desires and our wishes will start to become more and more in line with his. 
Yeah, I think the older I get, the older I see people around me getting, the more I'm like, you know, they've wished for and a lot of them have attained the things that are very worldly about what they could want. Mm -hmm. But if you look at this example of the blind man, he asks for things that are transcending anything the world can give him because he's been begging for it his whole life, right? But now he sees somebody who can give him something different, something that is much more lasting. And I mean, I know and I see a lot of people that are very wealthy and have attained a lot, but are still very unhappy. It's a reality that we all deal with. But this man has some level of joy that we can't really understand. But what he says is he was healed immediately, received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And I think that's the opportunity we have is to meet Jesus. And when we meet Jesus, we don't really have a choice. Nobody like makes a decision when they have an encounter with Jesus. Mm -hmm. They're so radically transformed Mm -hmm. that they just do it. They get up and they go. And that's the call that we have today for each of us. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag willowjourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.